0: you know the, the addition of of, of wigs and kelly has has changed everything for us defensively it's just it's allowed us uh to to compete every night at that end and if you can't do that you can't win in this league we're
1: gonna bring y'all our huddle
0: you are in voice. Huddle with me bram with me per usual my boy and producer marcus what's up dev nation And our master of all things sound, Maxime. How's it going? Boys, you guys are both sounding fired up to be on today. You're already making me excited. Even uh, MT's tone of voice got me juiced. Well... Boys, you aren't the only ones excited. I am too. I am fired up to annoyance that uh, rejoined us, the Golden State beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, a man who attends every single Warriors practice, shootaround, press conference, and game, and a guy who isn't afraid to meet Mark Medina in the ring. Mister Connor letourneau what's going on, Connor? Hey guys, thanks for having me. Of course, man. How you been? It's been a while. We missed
1: you. I know. I missed you guys. I've uh, been good. You know, it's been a, it's been a interesting season with all the the protocols and the working remotely but the the warriors are keeping things interesting so that's good
0: am i crazy to say so one of the signature qualities of mt's appearance on this show is his unique deep voice i felt like in that hey what's up dub nation he sounded genuinely fired up to hear from you man am i, am I the only one who thought that or what I it sounded genuine to me <laughs> mt were you faking it
2: No, it was genuine. I'm pumped. I haven't (laughs) talked to Connor in a long time. And I'm super interested to hear how he's taking that Medina call out.
0: Yeah, well, so far we haven't been able to get him to take the bait, but we will, gentlemen. There's a lot of Medina-related content today, and I'm going to start with a segment we haven't done forever, one I'm really excited to do with you, Connor, because there's uh, some clarity I need, and the the section is this, the -the off-the-court report, for those who are familiar with the show, know exactly where we're going. Um, Connor is not only a great guest he has unbelievable access to this team, and that's true even in the middle of a global pandemic. While most of us, including national writers, are stuck at home watching this stuff on TV, Connor can attend each of these games in person. And that's been true in this young season. So for this segment, we're going to try to take advantage of Connor's unique access and figure out what the hell it feels like to be at the arena for these games. Um, let's set up the obvious Connor. You've been going to the games you've been at chase and experienced this personally.
1: I have. Yeah. It's uh it's a weird environment. Um, I, I definitely learned, the hard way the first time around that I need to bring a lot of food because we're at the <laughs> arena for five, six hours. You know, you have to get there especially early to go through the coronavirus testing and the waiting and, and all that. And they don't have any food at the arena. All they have is water bottles. Um, so my, my first game I covered there this season, I could barely focus on riding because I was so ravenous because I, I didn't bring enough food. Uh, so, you know, just, just part of the learning curve with this new reality.
0: Are you sitting with the rest of the press? I mean, I imagine you're not alone, right? So there's other people either to your left or your right?
1: Yeah, uh, it, the press is much more spread out uh, than it than it used to be, obviously, uh, keeping six feet of distance between reporters. But um, I'm right next to our boy, Wes Goldberg, and uh, Janie McCauley from AP. So I'm still able to see some familiar faces, which is nice.
0: I imagine, and maybe this is just me adding a story where it's not there, but I imagine that not everybody moves at the same, I'm going to need food here speed that you have. Have there been a couple of times where you've brought food and you notice people looking over at you super longingly like you bastard, I'm crazy hungry and you actually have something right now?
1: Uh, what Wes, uh, literally the other day had to get up and leave the arena and go to dumpling time in front of the arena because he was going to pass out if he didn't get food. So I, I, love that.
0: I would be, I would absolutely eat it in his face as much as I possibly could. Like, this is so great and it's so stupid. You didn't bring it, but, uh, tell me more about how you actually get in. What's the testing process like? How long does that take? Cause at some point I would imagine this is in our future as fans as well.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, um, it's uh, it's honestly a huge hassle. And I'll be completely candid with you right now. Um, I'm, I might not be at every single home game this the rest of the season. Uh, I mean, I might only be at the majority of them, but not every single one. Uh, just because the, it's very it's a lot of hassle for very little payoff. I mean, yes, you're in the arena, but you you don't see the roar of the crowd. You don't see that all those types of scenes. You don't see anything away from the court uh you know you don't you're not in the locker room you're not you don't have that kind of behind the scenes access I tell everyone the the biggest reason why I go on the road uh during a normal season is for those you know behind the scenes conversations where you're you're getting information you're getting to know the guys more on a personal level at shoot around at practice and games and that just doesn't exist right now so um basically the way it's set up right now is like let's say it's a 7 p.m game you need to get there at like 3 30 to get tested and you got to wait in line and then get tested which takes a little while and then you wait 45 minutes i've actually had to wait upwards of 90 minutes some days to get my result they pull you aside once they have your your test back they individually call you down you feel like you're being called to the principal's office And they have a a healthcare worker who has a slip of paper and she pulls you aside into a corner behind the (laughs) stairwell and hands you a slip of paper that says you either have COVID or you do not have COVID. Um, And if you do not have COVID, you can take that slip of paper, walk down uh, the street to the media entrance and go into the game.
0: Um, Sounds like the Hunger Games.
1: You go up to the game and, um, you know, there's no food. Um, there's no sort of real media room set up like there used to be. Um, and honestly, it's inconvenient because you know the, the music's blaring, there's no real quiet place to work. Uh, so I find it hard to like transcribe or, or do my job pregame. Uh, it's in a lot of ways, it's just way easier to be at home, watch the game on TV, um, and 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 you know have a sandwich, you know, or something <laughs> in your kitchen than it is uh, to go through that whole process. Honestly, the biggest reason why I'm continuing to do it is because I just think it's good to be getting tested on a regular basis.
0: Waiting 45 minutes is just a non-starter for me. Uh, Just hook, line, and sinker. There's no way that the logistics of that really match up. Uh, Let me ask this. So once you've made it in, you wait the 45 minutes, you've smuggled in your food, you're finally in the seats, you're watching the game. What's the environment there? Uh, and, and let me do a better job of asking. I saw the other day the telecast did a big job of showing that James Wiseman's mom was coming to his first game. And it kind of opened up this possibility that it's not just the people who are working the game. Maybe there are some real fans there. Are there? I mean, are there family members? Are there friends of the team? Or really, with the exception of uh, you know, a couple of people, is it just people who are employed by the teams? Yeah, I mean it's literally
1: core family members. I mean, uh, you're talking your wife and maybe a kid or two, uh, and then the the actual staff members associated with the team. There's only about like a dozen or so media members there, um, and you know it's been it's been really interesting from that perspective because you normally have dozens and dozens of media members, and now you only have like the the real core people, the beat riders really, and a couple TV people. Um and yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean it's uh it's nuts. I mean even 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 some of the players are having a hard time getting all their family members in.
0: Marcus, maxine would you want to go? So we just heard that description and the Warriors have looked incredible. Um so let's say you somehow won tickets to show up as one of those people who's very close to the team. Um, So you're going through the exact experience that Connor just described, 7 o'clock start, get there at 3.30. You do get to watch the game, but let's say it's from upstairs. Do you roll?
2: I do, but I think that's – I have a biased opinion because I don't have to go through it. It sounds like from Connor's version of the story, it's just – it's a lot to go through on a consistent basis, so I'm sure – I would want to scale back how often I go through it too. Uh, the benefit of getting yeah. tested and having that peace of mind would be worth it, but it's also still a lot. And I'm, I'm like Connor, like I need certain kind of elements and quiet and um, I'm a routine a creature of habit when it comes to what i need to get work done so if any of that is thrown off and it's loud and there's you know not the things that i need i I would struggle so um i would probably go but i'd probably end up scaling it back just like connor was
1: saying yeah and let me just say i came into the season telling myself i am 100 percent going to every single home game i i feel like i have a duty and obligation as a one of the main beat writers to be as, to be at as many things as I possibly can to get as much access as I possibly can. And I realized very quickly, they just, they're just this very little payoff. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just not really that beneficial. And everyone I've talked to who's been has really agreed
3: with me. Maxine, what do you think? They tuck you into it? No, they didn't. I completely agree with Marcus. I think it would be great, and the novelty would wear off pretty fast. Um, The thing that interests me about going to a game like this is being able to be close enough to actually hear what's happening. Um, You know, to hear Draymond yelling at each of the other players on the court, Putting them into position, all of that sort of stuff is really fascinating to me. But it's a big arena. I can't imagine Connor that you're even close enough to hear that kind of stuff, especially because they got to space you all six feet apart. So it doesn't seem that worth it.
1: We're we're kind of in the club level seating area, so yeah. we're still pretty high up. And yeah. you know they pipe in all that crowd noise and stuff, so you really can't hear much. I mean, I don't I don't really think that going to the games has helped my coverage to be to be honest with you.
0: If I could go from just 7 to 10, I'm there. I like sporting events. I love the Warriors. I could be entertained just by watching the uniqueness of an NBA game without fans. At least once, I'm there for that. But I'm not going from 3.30 to 7. The idea of waiting three and a half hours before my experience starts, no, hard no. I'm out on that. Um, And let's use this to push us into a new segment, one I'm going to call a glass half full. Although you can go the other direction, and the idea is pretty simple because hopefully you're going to be revisiting it what I want you boys to do is look back at your Warriors experience over the last week and give me something you liked and something you didn't like uh, from how the Warriors were playing or from something even more general to give you some time to think I'll go first a lot of things I liked a lot of things I liked boys that uh, comeback Clippers win was one of my favorite regular season wins of all time. The fact that James Wiseman almost blocked a hook shot from Serge Ibaka that they literally needed a replay to determine that it was goaltending uh, is mind-blowing to me, and I loved it. From what I can tell, the only reason you take hook shots is because they cannot be blocked, and that foe forced them to go to the replay because his athleticism uh, got him close. Also, as a random aside, Serge Ibaka's facial hair really bothers me. It's just way too perfect and jumps off the screen. I felt like I was having some like HD TV problem, but I'm not picking either of those. Here's what I like like the most. I love that they beat Toronto while Steph Curry was having a burger shooting night Um, going into the year, even after they had had success, even after they had beat the Clips coming back from 20. It felt like there was no leeway for mistake with the Warriors when they are playing the better teams. Steph needed to play like a MVP. The defense had to be absolutely impeccable. And what we learned against Toronto is that's not necessarily true. If the defense steps up, if the second unit shows the way they did, this team can actually win games without Steph Curry being you know, superhuman. And what that suggests for the rest of the year is is just awesome i will save my something i didn't uh for a little down the road here connor what's something you liked
1: uh he kind of you kind of stole mine um but i went first on purpose
0: i took the easy one one
1: one thing i really liked is uh andrew wiggins evolution um you know he was a huge storyline entering the season especially after clay thompson Got injured. Um, you know, you got to keep in mind this guy's role changed massively in the matter of a few days. You know, after Clay's injury, um, he went from being brought in largely to be just kind of a better version of Harrison Barnes, where he's an off-the-ball slasher who, you know, plays hard on defense and knock down knocks down the open jumper and makes a simple pass. To suddenly, you need to be a legitimate bona fide number two option to Stephen Curry. And oh, by the way, you need to be a lockdown perimeter defender who. Who can you know make life difficult on the league's best scorers night in and night out? When you're a guy who historically has a reputation for being average to below average defensively. So uh, he had a lot on this plate. And after you know, a little bit of growing pains the first couple of games of the season, he's really started to come into his own. He's shooting over uh 40% from three, which is really important. Um he's finding his his shots in the flow of the offense, but he's also you know, settling in as a little bit of a playmaker for that second unit um, on those high screen pick and rolls. Um, And then he defensively has been a revelation. I mean, you saw flashes of it a little bit in his 12-game sample size last season. But, um, you know, he has been by far their best perimeter defender that so far this season. He was great last night against Toronto, Uh, obviously made that big stop. In the waiting seconds against Pascal Siakam. So, um, they, they needed him to have arguably the most efficient year of his career on both sides of the ball, and he's doing it so far.
0: Is there any truth to the rumor that the key to his turnaround was that he listened to our New Year's Eve resolutions podcast? I, I've seen that floating around out there. Do you know that's true? Um,
1: you know, he's not Kevin Durant esque. He hasn't, uh, <laughs> he hasn't admitted to me that he watches or listens to Warriors <laughs> Huddle yet, but, uh, he he probably does. I mean, everyone does,
0: right? It's only a matter of time. MT, what are you saying out there? Um,
2: I I agree with Connor on on the defense, so um to say something new, I really like um Draymond's approach to the season. We when we did the predictions podcast and we were guessing how many technicals Draymond would have and, you know, how many times he'd kind of fly off the handle. You know, we we did the normal up in the teens, double digits. And so far throughout the season, we've had frustrating moments and in games and times when somebody didn't rotate and you could just tell Draymond was frustrated or he had a clean swipe and they called a foul and he didn't blow up. You know, he still was loud and he still has that passion, but it isn't over the line to the point to where he's getting teed up and he's showing up the refs like there's been a few times where it was a questionable call and he just walks to the line and and lines up and gets ready to rebound and box out so i just like to see that growth and maturity because i think it's helpful for all the other players now that they have a year under their belt like the pascals and some of the people who are who are with the team and um you know just showing what the culture can be i think it's a positive step in the right direction i just like to see it that you know there's there's going to be times when the calls go against you and it'll hopefully even out and the best thing to do is just quarterback that defense on a string have everybody flying around and doing it like he's doing so right now and then just let the chips fall where they may um and and hope that you know it's it's even when it's all said and done so i just like that attitude from him and he hasn't lost the passion but he's lost some of the over the line
0: antics and you've got to figure that Draymond, amongst his you know many talents, is he's probably a great judge of his audience. He has a sense of what will motivate and what will not. And if he's looked at this group and realizes it doesn't need to be a fire and brimstone approach, you know this is how I think I can speak to my team through the refs. I trust his read on that, and it looks like it's working. By the way, that looks like a a pretty motivated bunch. Maxime, other side of the coin, what do you see out there you don't like?
3: Wow. Man, thank you for letting me out of that because there was slim pickings um, left in terms of what I liked, though I have to give a shout out to Damian Lee, because I feel like he's ultimately like had the game on the line now twice right with that three pointer dagger and then with the free throws. Um, I might
0: start calling Steph the brother-in-law. We certainly can't call Damian Lee the brother-in-law anymore. You know, like if nothing else, dude, he's earned the right to play his way out of that joke. I hereby promise to not use that joke at least throughout the course of this episode.
3: Wow. I mean, (laughs) s***. That's a win right there! Congratulations, Damian Lee. Big
0: thanks. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure Wiggins will tell him all about it after listening to this episode.
3: In terms of what I don't like, look, I mean, it's the obvious one that I'm sure we're going to need to talk about. Um, but it's just blaring so hard at me um, that I can't. I can't say anything else. And that's Kelly Oubre's just abysmal shooting percentage. Um, where you know, and I've watched him play right in his previous stints in uh, Washington and in Phoenix. I know what he's capable of. And I'm expecting him to get back to better pastures, but it is absolutely brutal. I mean, some of these shots, uh, quite frankly, I think I could almost hit on par. And that's a bit of an exaggeration, but not much. I mean, they look legitimately bad. They're not rimming out. He's barely hitting the rim at all.
0: Connor, do you know whether or not the Warriors are considering bringing in Maxime to take those shots instead of Kelly? <laughs> of course they are.
1: Uh, I mean, he doesn't have the pedigree that you, d- you do, Bram, <laughs> Mr. Uh, starting high school player in the Oakland Public <laughs> <laughs> League.
0: Uh, Kelly isn't, no, I mean, Ubre isn't from Oakland, so we can't really hold that well, and
3: so him. And real quick, um, just statistically speaking, um, Bram is 0 for 1 from the free throw line at Chase, and I haven't taken one, so I'm technically 100%.
0: <laughs> Completely fair, and let me make this a real question to you, Connor, because I'm going to add to it and then ask you what Ubre's attitude seems to be behind the scenes. His shooting is what it is. It, it's getting insane now and really frustrating. And it makes me nervous every time he fires one up, but I'm sure he wants to make it and I'm sure, you know, ultimately that'll even out. The thing that drove me crazy this last week is that it doesn't really seem like he knows exactly where he should be on the floor. There was a clip that went pseudo viral where Steph goes into his corner. Oubre is still there and Steph seemingly, who knows, you couldn't hear him slaps Oubre on the ass and seems to be saying, get the f*** out of my spot. I'm supposed to be here. So my question to you, Connor, is this. How does Kelly seem to be dealing with the lack of shot making behind the scenes? Is he getting frustrated? Does he seem to know that this two will pass and he'll be fine? What's your perception?
1: It's hard to answer that because of what we talked about earlier. Um, There's just not a lot of behind the scenes access right now. Um, I can tell you that when he is on video calls with media, and he's asked about it, he seems frustrated. He he even said early in the season, like after the first couple games, you know, you guys are over here like trying to make up headlines, and it's like, dude, (laughs) you were uh, you understood you understand that when they acquired you, that their luxury tax went up almost eighty million dollars. So there's a certain amount of. (laughs) pressure and scrutiny that's going to come with that um and you weren't asked you're not being asked to be clay thompson but you were the next best option in terms of trying to replace clay thompson so uh the fact that you're shooting 13 percent from three on a high volume is gonna be something we have to write about and talk about it's just it is what our job is um i'm not sure if he doesn't understand that or if he's just kind of using it as fuel or as motiv- motivation which a, a lot of players do um but you know i I agree with you bram he 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 still doesn't seem to have a great grasp on the read and react system while all his other teammates a lot of other newcomers seem to have picked it up in the past couple weeks uh he's kind of the one lagging behind and i personally also think not just to turn this into a bashing session for Ubre, but i think his defense has been way overrated um, you know, there's people are, who are trying to be nice to Ubre. Uh, you know, Steve Kerr, understandably, will always go out of his way. Whoa, but he's been good defensively. Has he, though? Has he, though? <laughs> I mean, he's been, he's been average defensively, Um, especially when you look at him next to Andrew Wiggins, who, in my opinion, has been great defensively. He's, he's had a lot of lazy closeouts. Um, he's been ball watching. Um, so... I, I have not been impressed so far, but it is early and things can change.
0: I wonder how crazy Ubre is, and I'll just use myself as an example. Um, so first, let me say I am happy he is here. I'm, I'm still happy they spent the $80 million to keep him here. And I have confidence that he is going to add to this team and that things are going to get a lot better. But if I'm going to agree with Connor, I'll start with this. I didn't expect Kelly Oubre to contribute to the offense as much as Klay Thompson did, but I did expect him to do a little bit more than Mike Mulder. And right now, Mulder (laughs) might be the bigger contributor, which is a little bit frustrating. And here's the example I'll draw. You know, towards the beginning of the year, we were taking shots at both Wiggins and Oubre. So for lack of a better analogy, it was kind of like they were both in the slow reading group. But now we fast forward a couple of weeks and Wiggins is like this star pupil. He's out there like writing dictionaries and Ubrey's is still having difficulty with the word me. You know, like there hasn't been any signs of him getting better. And it's starting to get a little worrisome, a little worrisome. Marcus, how long do we give Ubre before we think to ourselves? All right. He cannot contribute from a shooting perspective. We've got to figure out a different role for this guy. From a shooting perspective yeah like stop having him be in the corner do we I mean do we do we allow this just if he keeps shooting sub thirty percent do we just keep slamming this round peg into the square hole and and hope the shots start falling or do we ever flip what we need from him
2: I think you have to give him at least half a season and that seems generous to let a shot fall but it'll kill his confidence if you immediately start game planning him around to different you know locations on the floor based on that the few threes that he has hit have come from the corner so I think you want to keep him there until the confidence comes back up the mechanics look good he's got you know a nice arc on the ball so it's just off and it's frustrating um and I I haven't analyzed it as as much as Connor has, obviously, but the defense looks good to me. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't say that if I looked at it as deeply as Connor has and, you know, paid attention to closeouts and off the ball activity, but I just like his tenacity and he seems to to try to make up for it on the other end. And I think that's gonna help him. So I give him until at least halfway through the season for him to learn the system, learn how to play with Steph, for him to get you know either into the corner and other people to move away or for him to go you know to a different part of the floor if if D Lee and other people are going to be in the corner and knock those down more consistently and just let him get the flow back cuz i think he's a better shooter still than you know obviously what he's doing and i think he can be easily above 34 or 35%
0: I mean, it seems to me, what's our end goal, right? If our end goal is this year, have as much success as they can have this year, get as high up the Western standings as they can, then waiting until halfway through the season on a guy whose shot may not come, not the best approach. You know, we might we might lose a lot of games to other teams who are in the bottom half of the West, and that ultimately costs us. But if our goal is to get back to championship level, and this year – is getting people acclimated to the system so that when clay comes back and they get Minnesota's pick next year, we can hit the ground running. Then they better figure out how to use Ubre in that role, because that's how they're going to be the most successful is getting that shot to fall and then getting his defensive shortcomings up to speed. So I agree with you, but f- man, 36 games is a lot of games hoping that a 30% shooter uh, gets back up to speed. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And you know, I said entering the season that one of the most important stats to watch this season is going to be the three point shooting from both Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre. Um, Obviously with, with clay out, they need someone to, to fill that void along the perimeter. Um, But, you know, this is a team that when at their best is going to want to be out in transition and they're going to be wanting to take a lot of transition threes. And, you know, a lot of those are, are are obviously going to be funneled through Wiggins and Ubre. and that's exactly what has happened. And Wiggins is making them, and Ubre is not even close. I mean, and you, you look at you look at his uh, you look at the analytics. He's, I believe, averaging 3 pointers per game. Last I checked, and five point two of those, on average, have been wide open, meaning no defender has been within four feet of him. So no one, they're not even guarding him, and he can't. And and if you look at the shots, they're not just not going in; they're like they're not even close to going in. I mean, they're not necessarily a lot of air balls, but they're way back iron, away front iron. You know, they're they're not even close. And I I do think he's gonna figure it out, but it's concerning, you know. And and uh, it's 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 gonna be really interesting of this rut lasts for another few weeks or so because more and more pressure is going to be put on Steve to make a change which would be a enormous decision should he do that because you're risking potentially creating a ton of locker room issues and making Ubra unhappy and you know that can be really uh scary.
0: Oh, messing with a guy's confidence Whose confidence is already lacking You know that's a black hole And you gotta worry out for it um, Just based on those answers Maxine please make a note and Do a little research for us See whether or not Those first few times Connor went to the game He did in fact bring a lunch And Kelly Oubre just stole it from him Which is why he hates him so much It's gonna be a hard thing to figure <laughs> out But uh, I want you to get to the bottom of it Boys let's move to our Warriors Oracle section Old segment for the audience Connor new one for you Although the idea is crazy easy man This is amazing bag. The only thing that changes it is that people also tend to throw us random and personal questions. Let me prove that to you. Here's our first Peter in Concord writes in to ask this quote, have you ever seen someone, you know, and like out in public, but cross the street anyways. So you don't have to talk to them. Peter, this one really landed right in my wheelhouse. I do this. Well, we don't leave the house anymore and we don't see anybody. So I'm going to take this question as asking when we were still in public and we were walking down the street, did I ever do that? I did that every day. I, I work in the middle of downtown San Francisco. Because of that, I see a lot of people I went to graduate school with and I would say on at least a once a day basis, I would see somebody walking down the street like on my way to lunch or something and then casually come up with a bush. Bull- reason to cross the street and then put my head down so that we did not recognize one another and did not have a conversation. And it's not that I didn't like them. Like I'm still on board. I consider him a friend. I just didn't feel like having an actual human interaction. Am I the only one like this? How about you guys? Do you ever do this? I can confirm that
2: that's how you are, Bram. So for the listener out there, I I was going, I I would take the ferry to work sometimes from Oakland to San Francisco, and I get on the ferry one morning, and in the corner, I see this huge North Face puff jacket that can only be Bram's jacket, the one that he wears, which is way too hot for how cold it is in the Bay Area. It's the only cold jacket I have. And I go in there, and I... There's a bunch of open seats, and you know this is pre-pandemic, so you know you can sit next to people. And I literally go sit right next to him, and he's not paying attention, and he kind of looks at me weird, like who is sitting next to me? (laughs) And then he sees it's me, and we start laughing. And there was it was 51 percent he was happy to see me, 49 percent he was upset that I messed up his morning commute to be alone. So I even you know Bram and I are probably best friends, and. Have been so since we were five. So the fact that he does that and crosses the street is 1,000% true.
0: That, so I uh, yes, you are, I mean, could not be closer. Also, I'm glad I was able to come up with a facial expression that convinced you that 51% of you wanted to have that f- or that conversation. <laughs> uh, I was like, what was happening? Also, I was crazy hot because of my jacket, but you know, it, it was what it was. How about you? Does the fact that you sat next to me show, do you not do that? Are you always happy to see people out and about?
2: If it's somebody that I like and, you know, like have a good relationship with, yes. I mean, I've crossed the street or I've just um, put my head down. If it's somebody that I'm like peripheral friends with, you know, just, you know, like tier three and and below. But otherwise, yeah, I'm I'm just going to say what's up and say hi. So um, I haven't crossed the street that many times. I usually just go with the head down.
0: I'm willing to bet almost any amount of money that Maxime absolutely has crossed the street before and that Connor has not, that Connor stays on the side of the street and has the interactions. Let's find out. Let's start with you, Connor. What do you think, man? You see somebody out there, you you know you're going to have a conversation. How do you handle it?
1: it, it honestly, it totally depends on who the, who the person is. Um, if we're talking about someone that I'm friendly with, but I'm not... Uh, I'm not like actual friends with you know like an acquaintance that you're on okay terms with, but you're not you're not you know inviting to your birthday party. uh, I'm probably not going out of my way to uh, to say hi unless I know that the person saw that I saw them. You know, I mean, if you make eye contact, you definitely got to do something. If you can get away with not making eye contact and making the person believe you didn't see them, then I think you you can uh, you should probably just move on with your day. Uh, because there's not, you're not going to get anything out of, you know, 30 seconds of small chat when you're, you know, you probably have things to be doing. It's, it's, there's just nothing beneficial about that.
0: Oh no. Well, and for me, if I get stuck to that 30 seconds, I start making all these guarantees that are never going to happen. Oh, it's so great to see you. We should definitely hang out. I'll exchange numbers for no reason. I mean, you know, it's, it's this really awkward, unnecessary, sweaty experience. Maxime, at least tell me I'm right about you. Do you cross streets or what?
3: Of course. Of course. Let's go. But let's but okay, there's there's something I need to point out here, which is that um Marcus referred to these tiers, he talked about a tier 3. I'm proud to say that I'm at least tier 2 because I was running around my neighborhood once and he drove by and he stopped and we had a chat. So <laughs> um I made it. Uh, but uh the one thing that that I do think is problematic here to Connor's point is the situations when you make eye contact and then you still you still cross the street. Right. Which which to me says that the other person was just as uninterested in making contact with you. And that really kind of with me, you know what I'm saying? Because now I have in my head like, oh, like they didn't want to talk to me.
0: The, the real reality on this thing, you know that this entire question presupposes that I am way more important than I actually am. Chances are when I see that person walking down the street and they see me, they're thinking to themselves, "Oh, shit, there's Bram, I do not want to talk." And they're so happy that I cross over. And all of this just presupposes like, oh no, they desperately want to talk to me, you know and, and I am positive that is not true. Let's uh, veer back to basketball for this question. Carol in Oakland asks if you could add a completely healthy Clay Thompson or a completely healthy Kevin Durant to this Golden State roster. Who would it be and why? MT, did you take it first.
2: Jeez, oof. Ah. So the if I want to win a championship, I add Kevin Durant. If. I want to stay true to the Splash Brothers and be loyal to the soil with our boy Clay. Then I add Clay and I lean towards the latter. I love how good we are with KD and, you know, Steph and KD shattered records and, you know, both. I think there's only been teammates that have scored, each scored 25 plus points per season. Um, you know, a couple times throughout history and throughout a season, and Steph and you know, KD did it three times, and the other teammates have only done it once each. So, um, it's a potent, potent combination, but I'm just partial to the Splash Brothers. I love the loyalty that Clay showed us when he re signed the contract and gave us that, you know, Gordon Gecko quote, you know, with from Leo DiCaprio. I just, He's the man, he, he's part of the culture and part of the family, so um, I'm going to go Clay, but begrudgingly because I think KD would give us a better result.
0: Connor, put on your uh, Steve Kerr hat. Pretend you are Steve Kerr and give me his response. What do you think he would say to this? Um,
1: <laughs> He would be incredibly diplomatic and probably find a way to not fully answer it but I think if he was being <laughs> but I think if he was being honest and, that, and that's not a criticism of Steve you know being a public figure like that you got to navigate carefully uh but I mean clay uh foundational to the French is that he's the glue together um they're, they're still doing decently well right now but I can tell you if he was if he was available we we'd be for conversation Think that they would be a legitimate title contender right now, and uh, and they're they're still very much feeling his void, not just on the court but off, you know, in, internally in terms of the locker room and the plane flights and all that kind of stuff. So, I think they would all take him. I'll also, keep in mind, like Kevin, it was always Kevin Durant and the Warriors. It was never the Warriors. It was Kevin Durant and the Warriors. He never felt like a part of the fabric of his team, and he was always kind of a mercenary. Uh, During his three years here, a very good one at that, but he never really was one of the core guys. And so um, I don't think they really miss him that much. You know, obviously, it'd be nice to have his skills, but they don't really miss having him around that much.
0: I, so I'm going to pick Clay. I don't know if I'm just being optimistic, but if I squint really hardly, I think I can even see why Clay may be a better advantage to the Warriors to win a title, even to address what MT's saying. So MT, obviously, yes, you want your homegrown brother, and you want to show him solidarity, especially at a time when he's recovering from his second career-threatening injury. But the other side of this thing is if you look at it on the defensive side of the ball— you know, KD was incredible, but where he was incredible is where Wiseman now is. He erased mistakes at the rim whereas Clay was a perimeter savant. He made up for all the things that Steph couldn't do against the game's best guards. And now that we have Wiseman erasing shots, blocking hook shots improbably, then if we needed somebody, some inclusion on the defensive end, I think it's perimeter wise and I think I would pick Clay. And you know, again, I am a homer and this is probably A Homer take, but uh, that's the direction I would go. Let me go to another question. Bram in Oakland asks this I'm getting ready to put $100 on Steph to win the MVP. Am I crazy smart or just crazy? So, gentlemen, I'm sure you've seen right through it. This is not a write in question. This is, in fact, me. I am going to do this. I'm going to do this today. I've got $100 in my account. Here is the odds Steph Curry is plus. $1,400. Fourteen hundred. So if I bet a hundred, I'm going to win one thousand four hundred dollars. Just to give you a little sense, Luca is plus four hundred. So bet a hundred to win four. Yanni is plus four fifty. KD plus eight hundred. LeBron plus twelve hundred. Connor, am I crazy or does Steph have a shot at the MVP? He has a shot
1: um, for sure. He has a shot. I mean, if he if he if if he keeps these numbers kind of close to where they are, um, and the Warriors, you know, get get into the playoffs and maybe get into like the six to four to six range in terms of the playoff berth uh, I think he at least deserves a spot in the conversation I mean this is a team outside of yesterday their success was directly tied to his success you know he they won every game where he had 30 or more points and they lost every game where he didn't have 30 points and so if they exceed expectations it's going to be largely because of him and he's going to deserve some credit for that.
0: You know what I've really been enjoying about his season? So one of the most impressive things to me is if somebody doesn't brag unless they are forced to. Let me give you a dumb example. Let's say you own like the nicest Tesla on earth and then you go to a friend's house and they have a super nice Honda. And before you can say anything, they're like, look at this Honda. Look how awesome it is. And it is brand new. And it, they tell you all about it and how much money they spent on it and all these things. They're doing everything they can to show you how awesome their car is. But even though you know you have a Tesla, even though you know you know you have an Aisha car, you say nothing. You compliment their car. You ride in it. You say it's amazing. And then you fast forward five or six months they, for whatever reason, have to stop by your house. And at that point, they casually see your Tesla. That's baller to me. I love that. I love if you can keep something in, uh, in pocket. You don't have to show it unless they see it. And then they feel bad about having not known about it. That's Steph's season. We spent all these years knowing the Steph was good, but we also spent all these years praising his teammates, saying that he couldn't necessarily uh, carry a team on his own, calling him things like a system player, but while that happened, Steph didn't need to show you his Tesla. He didn't fight back. He didn't say, you know, I'm just doing what the system uh, asks of me. He didn't do any of that shit. He just stayed quiet. And now when we're finally in his house, when we need him to do these things, he's showing us what he's capable of. He is, he is slowly revealing just how good he is. And I, I just love that. It's It's another reason why I think this season has been, for lack of a better phrase, phenomenal television.
2: Yeah, I think he's definitely in the conversation, um, and he's earned it. I don't think it's a hundred dollars well spent. I think it'd be better just giving it to me, and um, you know, we can ride the ferry together and. Drinks there, but I tell I you, I'll give the, you a hundred
0: dollars if you never sit next to me on the ferry again. I'm not just giving you a hundred dollars. I mean, we might be able to buy something for that Hundo.
2: I mean, if you're gonna put it on Steph to win the MVP, you are giving away a hundred dollars. I'm think, using the winnings to buy a new coat. F you. <laughs> I think that the challenge is is that the NBA works on narratives, and the narrative of Steph winning again isn't strong enough. Um, LeBron at his age and what he's doing in the numbers he's continuing to put up on a winning team to where they are is just um, a stronger story and I think it's it puts him above even if if Steph is having a better MVP season I think LeBron right now is number one and I think Luka Doncic is playing his way into shape and eventually will fight for either number two or, or number one and win that as well. I think Giannis winning it a third time is a little tough, even though, you know, he's playing great as well. I just think the narrative drives towards LeBron or Luka winning it.
0: It's actually the narrative that gets me fired up for the 1400. I'm getting ready to win. I mean, like if, if we enter this season with ESPN saying, the Warriors are terrible, 14th seed, forget it, Dub Nation. These guys aren't even going to compete. And then they end up... To, to stand on Connor's shoulders, let's say they're like third in the West. Not probable, not probable, but let's say they're third in the West. If they, they move up 11 spots on the back of Steph Curry, it's going to be hard to, to completely ignore that narrative. Uphill climb, but maybe worth a $100 lottery ticket. Last question, Connor, uh, and I'll throw it towards you. August in Berkeley asks us this. Now that we've seen the Warriors play more than ten games, including contests against the Clips and the Raptors, do you think they will be a top five team in the West?
1: Oh my gosh, that's such a, a tough question right now. Um, I, I would say, probably, I'd say no. Uh, I, I still think they're somewhere in that six to eight range, um, just because of how loaded the Western Conference is, and um, I'm not. I'm not confident that Andrew Wiggins is going to be able to keep this up. I also am not 100% confident that Steph is going to stay 100% healthy. Hopefully he doesn't have, you know, injury like a like broken hand last season. But, you know, even if he has to miss like 10 games or something, that would be devastating, especially given that the season is shorter this year. So um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lean toward uh, them not getting in the top five.
0: Maxime, I want your answer to this, but first I've got to tell you, and it, and it pains me to do so, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. I happen to know that Marcus drives around your neighborhood all the time and doesn't always stop you when he sees you. It's kind of <laughs> up that he doesn't every time, but he did He did do it that one time, so you two will always have that moment.
3: Uh, so I think the conceit here, that Connor, that you're missing um, is that Bram is going to win $1,400, and there's no way that Steph is winning the MVP and missing 10 games. Truth.
0: That is true. So are you saying, give me top five? I no, mean, give me a real no, take. I, do you think I, they make top five? I, I,
3: no, I don't think we're going to hit top five. I think six to eight is much more realistic. I do think that the West is not as loaded as I thought it was preseason. Um, it seems like Jamal Murray is not quite as amazing as he was looking in the bubble. Um, the Clippers seem to continue to have some internal implosion issues that we saw in Orlando. And I do think that that's something that's going to carry over outside of the bubble. Um, so I, I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like an impossibility. Um, but I think I'm guessing a six seed.
0: Marcus, you're going to take us home. Let me squeeze in my take quickly. The reason I think they could, so no, I don't think if I had to bet money on it, the way I'm going to bet for Steph, I'd bet no, I'd bet six to eight. But the reason I feel somewhat optimistic is not necessarily because of the talent they've shown, which they have. And it's not the chemistry uh, that we've seen slowly eke up, which it has. And it's not that I think they're going to get better as the year rolls on, which I do It's that this year is going to be a weird one. COVID is already rampaging. And instead of being really cautious, at least so far, the NBA is looking a little bit more like the NFL. They are forcing teams to play. They played. Uh, they forced the 76ers to play a game with like eight players. So if that's how this year is going to be, then I don't know if we can really predict this thing based on talent. I think there's going to be a lot of games played without superstars. And if the Warriors can thread the needle, if they get lucky and they're the team that avoids some kind of COVID outbreak then for that reason, they could find themselves a lot higher up the West standings than everybody thought. Uh, But if I had to bet it, I'd probably say six at this stage. MT, take us home.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think they get the seven seed. Um, I think COVID will wreak havoc a little bit on some of the teams and, you know, like expose the depth or lack thereof, of some of the benches for the teams that we expect to be higher up. But You look at both L.A. teams, I think they're up there. Phoenix, I think Chris Paul does it again with them. Utah, um, I think Dallas rounds into shape, especially when Porzingis comes back. I think Denver is just a – they're just not playing well, and once Porter Jr. comes back from his COVID – you know, um, absence, I just think they start playing better. They're going to miss Jeremy Grant more than they were anticipating, but I still think that they, um, end up with a better regular season record than us. But I think all said and done, we're a seven seed and we play one of the LA teams or Phoenix first. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, it's anybody's game at that point.
0: And it's, we believe and know that when my $1,400 comes in, I'm taking Maxime out absolutely probably connor and when we see you on the street we are immediately crossing it and not inviting you <laughs> anywhere for sure connor you were amazing you always are for those out there i need two questions answered one where can they find more Laterno? and two could you beat mark medina in a two three minute round fight
1: <laughs> um they can follow follow me on twitter at con underscore cron uh read all my stuff at sf com. i actually have my own podcast which bram is generous enough to come on very often my pleasure it's called warriors off court um and then uh medina i don't know man i could see medina getting a little uh playing a little you know off the book you know i could see him (laughs) you know uh maybe bringing some weapons that weren't allowed or something like that but uh if, it, if, it's a, if it's a fair fight, I think I can handle him. Um, I'm I'm not, this, I'm not the strongest guy in the world, but I think I can handle Medina. I love Medina, by the way. Great guy, but uh, I can handle it.
0: Only because I know I'll be playing this clip for Mark. I'm going to add, knowing his long and elaborate history of graffiti and defacing murals, I don't think that your guess that he might play this dirty is, is totally uh, out of the question, man. Ah, that, Huge fun, you guys. With that in mind, go Warriors, and uh, hopefully we'll see you next week.
2: Good, good.